Okay. Who? So, who died to make these guys king? This is ridiculous. Their father. <laughs> oh, right. Greetings, travelers. Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Hi there. If you've been following us on Twitter and Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest, then you will know that we have a very exciting tale for you today coming all the way from the Islamic Golden Age. Woo! I've been pretty excited for this. I don't know about you. I was very excited for it until I had to do all the research for it, and I realized it's a really hard one to get a concise and straightforward summary <laughs> for. But that's why we're here. Yeah. Today's story is called The Thousand and One Nights, or The Arabian Nights. So, this story is really just a compilation of various folktales with various authors. But the main story we'll be discussing today, which will be the framing story, comes from the Pavli Persian work, Hazar Afsan, which means a thousand tales. Now, the stories are not all children's tales, so be cautioned, dear travelers, that there will be some content not suitable for young listeners. You have been warned. A long time ago, there were two brothers, King Shariar and King Shahzaman. Now, being kings, they were quite busy and hardly had time to maintain a decent long-distance relationship. So one day, King Shariar tells his vizier, who also sometimes goes by the name Jafar... Wait, what? What? The same Jafar from Aladdin? The vizier from this story is the reason why Jafar gets his name in Aladdin, the Disney movie. Just a fun oh. fact for you. Now, does he have a parrot that mocks him constantly? He does not, Sing but out. he does have a great habit of hurrying to do what the king tells him to do. So the vizier, making great haste, takes three days to head off. And then, you know, being in quite a hurry, he stays with each lesser king for three days of entertainment <laughs> and recuperation. <laughs> now he finally gets to Shah Zaman's kingdom and tells him that his brother wishes to see him. You know, reading the urgency in the room, Shah Zaman says they will head off at once. But first, they need to hang out for three days. This is custom. When they finally hit the road, Shah Zaman realizes he forgot something at home and heads back, <gasps> only to find his wife having a sleepover. What? Now, the logical thing to do is to instantly kill her before heading off to his brother's kingdom. You know, those tickets were... Not refundable, after all. What is with kings and stories just, like, at the slightest inconvenience, chopping off, like, someone's head? No self-control. No restraint here. I'd be a bit annoyed if I came home, you know, having just partied for three days and, you know, taking this long, extended vacation to go see my brother. If I came home and my wife was having a sleepover without asking permission first. You always have to ask permission from the king. I mean, that's why he's there, right? He's the king. He's her husband. I mean, I wouldn't cut her head off, to be fair, but that's just his reaction. I can't really blame him for having an instant reaction just to kill someone or two people, I guess. All I'm saying is when we covered Rumpelstiltskin, there 
was some threats of immediate head chopping happening, and it was also by a king. And I just feel like, why are these kings just so easy to fly off the handle? And the first thing they want to do is just kill someone when they're slightly upset. That's all I'm saying. Maybe it's because they pay the executioner like a yearly salary, and they have to get their money's worth. Like they invested in this guy; he's part of the royal, you know, servants. And if they don't use him enough, it just feels like, well, we wasted that year. We didn't even go to the gym. We didn't even behead anybody. It's true. You got to, like, make use of all your employees. If you got an executioner, you got to use them, right? I mean, your hands are kind of tied. I definitely think there'd be less beheadings if executioners worked on a freelance kind of basis where you hired them when you needed them versus just having them on staff. Because if they're always on staff, you feel like you have to use them for minor inconveniences. Well, I do want to give this king some credit. I feel like most stories where you have any siblings in a royal family, they're pretty much destined to be fighting each other for the throne. But these two just seem pretty happy and chill with each other. Like, yeah, I want to see my brother. I actually want to go travel to see him. Like, that's pretty sweet. I mean, yeah, considering that it takes quite a while to get to each other's kingdoms, it's quite a task to actually go see each other. But maybe it's because they're long distance that they're able to have a nice relationship. Because you never see the guy, you're going to miss him. Mm. So, back to our brothers. Our newly widowed king finally meets his brother. But, given the situation, he's quite gloom and doom. Fair. He won't eat, drink, or take part in any of the festivals in his honor, including a hunt. Now, on the day of the hunt, all the other men head off, and Shazaman just you know, sulks around the kingdom, around the castle, thinking about the wife he murdered, how inconvenient that was to him and his feelings. I mean, you got good use of an executioner, though. You got to look at the bright side here. You now can justify him on your payroll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one execution a year is what keeps him, you know, going. Looking out a window, he happens to see the queen and all her ladies having a massive sleepover with their servants. <gasps> now... This scene is quite exciting to Shah Zaman because it means that his situation didn't suck nearly as much as his brother's. After all, <laughs> his wife didn't have a public sleepover. She had that night when sleepovers are supposed to happen. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. The actual text of the book says that he was delighted at this situation. Like, he's happy-go-lucky. He's so excited. Because he's like, you know what? My situation sucked, but my brother's situation is worse. So I guess that means mine isn't as bad. Wow. And that's his reasoning for being happy. I, I mean, I don't really understand it. <laughs> I kind of get, like, you, you know, you compare your situation to someone else, but this is quite sad. Just they're like, ah, someone's got it worse. I guess I'll live my life. Like, dude, <laughs> have some compassion for the other guy. It's more like I think like a grass is always greener on the other side, but in reverse. Like, you see someone else's yellow grass, and you're like, you know what? My grass is still a bit of green, so it's fine. Has some dog poo on it, but you know what? Still green. Not as bad as that guy's. You would think he'd be even more upset, yeah. but instead he's just like, eh. Okay, but tell me he at least, like, fine. You take that little bit of pride and being like, well, someone has a secular situation than I do. Fine. But tell me he immediately went to tell his brother so that he could understand what was going on. I'd like to think that he tells his brother the first chance he gets, but 
In fact, he's so happy-go-lucky that he's just sitting there and eating and enjoying himself. And everyone is quite confused by this because when he came, he was so, you know, everything sucks. And now he's all, wow, everything's rainbows and sparkles. So they're like, what's what's wrong with him? <sighs> My guy, <laughs> sit on information like this. Well, I mean, doesn't take him very long. The brother, Shariar, does say, you know, like, hi, hey, what's up? Why the sudden mood change? What happened? And Shazaman very happily tells him that he had caught his wife having a sleepover. But he also caught Shariar's wife having a massive sleepover. So his wife's little sleepover wasn't so bad. I'd like to say that I phrased it in a bit of a different way than what happens, but he does say, hey, you know, my wife had a sleepover, but, man, your wife, her sleepover was massive. So not the best way, I guess, to break it to your brother that his wife's cheating on him, but it's definitely a way. This guy needs to learn some, I guess, bedside manners is not the right word, but I don't know what other term to use here be like i'm sorry about this just a little bit of sympathy here i just see him smiling away telling him this and that's just creepy and wrong i guess empathy maybe just have a little bit of empathy just like you're not in this situation but you are in a very very similar situation not so long ago so while his does suck more it does not mean that yours is just gone it's kind of like the Grief Olympics, but in reverse, where instead of trying to compete with his brother and say, well, I have it worse, or, you know, I had to kill my wife, he just kind of goes, you know what? Yours does suck more. You know what? You win. Here's the gold medal of men whose wives have sleepovers on them. You've won. And therefore, I'm happy with my bronze. I can't imagine telling a sibling something like this in the way that he's done it. I don't agree with his approach. Especially because this also feels like they kind of established that this is a good relationship between the two of them. They do seem to like each other and respect each other. So it seems really random. Uh, he just makes this turn and like, yo, it's a funny story. Legit funny. Your wife is having a sleepover with all these people. My wife did as well, but yours was, like, just yesterday. Like, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> to Shariar's credit, he does not just take his brother's word at face value. They do, you know, set up a little bit of a trap, an entrapment situations going on here, where they send all of the men on another hunt, and they wait to see what happens. And, I mean, the queen, being not so subtle, does have another massive sleepover in the gardens and both the kings see this and again that executioner has a really good time just you know making his money's worth and one day he executes everybody there and the two men deciding that that was really exhausting for them decide to go on a bro vacation to get away from all of the slumbering women in their lives okay i got a question for you so you are the executioner. Yeah. Right. You've got a pretty good job. You've got a payroll just there whenever they need a beheading. Like you, it's pretty good gig. Job is guaranteed because they always need the threat of you. But you probably only need to like act like what once every couple months at most. And now you're being called for the second time in a couple of days. Do you think you're happy because you get to execute more? Or are you bummed that you're like actually being called to do what you need to do? 
Well, I think there might be two different executioners unless Shazamon brought his with him. I think maybe they have their own. So if for, if it was okay. a separate executioner, it's probably like the first time that month Shariar's executioner gets a chance to use his his skills. So this is not a big deal for him. But like, oh, I yeah, mean, on schedule. I wonder if at that point you make them line up and do it one at a time, or if you just go in there, you know, start hacking at it. But I mean, I was quite interested in the tutors for a really long time. Show? Well, about the actual tutor era. Oh, okay. And I read a couple biographies of Anne Boleyn, and there are so many horrific things about the way that people actually got executed. Sometimes the axe would just get stuck. Sometimes blood would go everywhere. People in the crowd would try and, you know, rip things off. Mm. People would try and actually take the heads because they wanted them. And so if you weren't quick enough, you wouldn't be able to grab the head. So they started putting baskets there so the, the head would fall into the basket. I mean, it doesn't seem like a very fun job, to be fair. You're automatically the villain. You're the person, you're the last person these people see before they're blindfolded, usually. Executions were very popular. And people were very bloodthirsty during them. So as an executioner, you're kind of standing there and you're kind of like, well, you're facing the worst of humanity and you're doing your job. Isn't this like what Shakespeare was competing with? Like the reason he wrote his plays the way they were was he had to come up with entertainment that would compete with executions. So it's like, yeah, go see the public execution or you go see some crappy play by some no-named guy, <coughs> William Shakespeare. Well, I mean, William Shakespeare spent quite a lot of time making his jokes. I'm not even, actually, I'm not sure. I can't speak for William Shakespeare that he spent quite a lot of time. But based on his works, you can tell there's quite a lot of entertainment value there for peasants or for poorer people, not necessarily nobles. But there are lots of crude jokes in there, lots of references to daily life. There's a lot in there for the general masses to enjoy. And I mean... I guess executions can get boring after a while. I, p- the fear in people's eyes goes away. They get desensitized to it. They want to hear some crude humor instead. But yeah, it's definitely true that back in the day, people were competing with executions as a form of entertainment. I I don't know if I would ever actually go see an execution because I think it's disturbing. Yeah. But there are definitely things in the dark web where people actually want to watch these kind of things, or they watch mm. these horrific things happen, because there's that that morbid human curiosity about strange things, um, which I would probably never partake in, because I'm very squeamish, and I do not like the look of blood, the look of gore, can't even watch horror movies. But there is a big, 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 big market for this kind of stuff, especially gore or horror as well. Again, not my thing. So I will not be going to any executions anytime soon. Yes. Okay. Well, what happens next? Let's go join them on their bro vacation. So bro vacation. So our <laughs> bros, you know, they head to the sea, which everyone does for their little vacation. And they get there and they see this giant black pillar kind of just coming towards them over the water. They climb the nearest tree and they hide out waiting to see what it is. And they end up having a whimsical meeting with a sleeping djinn and the woman he keeps locked up in several chests under the sea. For those who might not know, I mean, I totally know. (laughs) I I do. Like, for, you know, people listening who don't know, want to clarify what a djinn is? 
So jinns are kind of like genies or demons. They sometimes appear as lower ranking spirits of chaotic evil or chaotic neutral. The most popular one obviously being the genie. And those are the ones that are trapped usually by a sorcerer or a wizard into some kind of container. So something like a lamp, which we will learn about later. So we have this, this dark evil genie spirit. And he, like the kings, literally watch him open up several chests, take out, you know, keys and unlock several like padlocks and chains and pull out this woman. And as he is sleeping, the woman sees the kings and she calls them down and she shows them a collection of 98 rings that she keeps hidden from the djinn. And she says that even though she's trapped under the sea, she was still able to find men and have sleepovers. And, you know, she asked the two kings for their rings, which they reluctantly give. Uh, but this is a real light bulb moment for our two brothers who think, wow, all women like sleeping during sleepovers. And they will go so far to do it that even if they're trapped under the sea, they will find a way to get a hundred rings. What? You know, the logical next step. I mean, we can we can pause. Do you need a moment? There's a lot to unpack here. These two kings, you know, rulers of a country, they're just gone on adventuring. Does no one in the kingdom need them for, like, anything? What? <laughs> I mean, th- th- I, I don't know, because I think the viziers are, like, kind of like the region, so they take over in case of an emergency. But I'm not sure if the brothers actually had time to talk to any governors or any council members and be like, hey, we're going to take off for a bit. You know, you're in charge. I need to book that vacation time at all? Nope. I think they they very much just went, we're going to kill a bunch of people or have them beheaded. And then we're going to go with no no date of when we're coming back. Not deal with the consequences of that, facing their families or anything. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> they're irresponsible. Well... I don't think there are any consequences for them, per se. As sad as the truth is, they're kings, they're men, they're men of authority. They can get away with pretty much anything in this time and place. And I'm not I'm not really shocked that they were able just to behead a whole bunch of people and then leave because it's just something that people with power, I've assumed, can just do. They can just up and leave and expect other people to pick up the pieces of what's left over but i don't think sleepovers were socially acceptable at the time so i'm i'm fairly certain the families of the people having the sleepovers as saddened as they would have been wouldn't be able to fight the kings on the rationality of the beheadings because it was still a crime to have sleepovers at that day and age okay So that brings me to question number two. We're back to the sleepovers. This woman is in a locked chest under the the sea, you know, as you do. As women are. Yeah. And she's just collecting rings. I mean, like Sonic the Hedgehog trying to get, like, all those rings. I get it. (laughs) Like, is she trying to get a one-up? I mean, why does she need 100 rings? Does that break her from the spell? Is it just to show off? What? <laughs> I don't truly believe this happened. I I don't truly believe they met. Like I know we're supposed to believe in the fantasy and the fantastical. And yes, I, I love fairy tales for that aspect. 
But this, this, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you think about it, this woman who's clearly not happy with the djinn, um, who has met, let's say, 98 men before the two kings, doesn't even ask for help. Yeah. She doesn't even say, hey, listen, come back. You know, this is where you can find me. This is where I am. Come get me. Please help me. She just goes, hey, you want to sleep over and then give me your rings? Like, or, she, I mean, the djinn is sleeping at that point. If she has enough time to talk to these men and take their rings and have sleepovers, she has enough time to get away from this djinn. Like, I don't think there's anything stopping her from doing that. And in the actual story, she tells them this poem about how women can't be trusted Eesh. because they're always going to put their own pleasures first. And I, I don't know many women who would actually I don't actually I don't know any woman who would sit there and put down their own gender like that and just straight up be like listen women will cheat on you if they give you if you give them a chance you can't trust them at all okay that's what I think happened these two guys just went off to the woods or the sea or whatever and were like upset about what happened with their wives and they had probably a bit too much ice cream or something before bed and just had the trippiest dream that just confirmed all their worst thoughts and ideas. And this is what came out. And they were like, yo, women suck. Yeah, I'm 100%. They're like, women suck. Women are trash. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. So because why I, is the gin? Why? <laughs> like, how did the gin not catch her any of these times? If we're really going off the thought that she doesn't try to escape. Like, it feels like he should have caught at least some of these fools. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, he's going to the trouble of putting her under, like, several locks, several, like, chests, putting her under the sea, and he brings her up to land and just falls asleep. Like, I, do I don't really understand what's happening here, but he's in a deep enough sleep that she has enough time to speak to these men, give them a whole poem about how women suck, and then just, you know, she's still there at the end of it. He doesn't wake up. They just leave. And at no point does she say, you know, hey, you know, we'll we can have a sleepover, but you have to help me get away from him. She just goes, yeah, women suck. And this is what they'll do. If I can cheat on, you know, my sleeping gin, no, you, no one you trust will ever be faithful to you. It's like, hmm, either she has real problems or this is completely made up by two men that were like, you know what? Women suck. Let's go tell everyone that we saw this lady who told us women suck because they'll trust that a woman told us that women suck. I'm saying women way too many times and I'm, I don't know how to say it anymore. I'm like, woman. <laughs> okay, so I think yeah. we could both agree that this is some weird trippy dream that they've just had or something like that. Yes. Well, unlucky for us because they used their weird trippy dream to set up a new law. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Who, so, who died and made these guys king? This is ridiculous. Their father. <laughs> oh, right. So, you know, they had their bro vacation. They come back and they're like, you know what? A woman told us that women suck. So we can't trust women ever again. If a woman told you that and you don't trust women, why are you trusting this woman with the fact that women are untrustworthy? Because the woman said exactly what they wanted to hear, but in the voice of a female person. So they were like, listen, it's my thoughts, but coming out of your mouth 
Therefore, I'm going to trust it because it's exactly what I want to hear. They're they're hypocrites. They don't they don't care. I mean, this whole this whole sleepover thing is a complete hypocrisy issue because they sent each other people to have sleepovers with. Like this is not something okay. that they're like, oh, no one's allowed. So what does Tweedledee and Tweedledum do next? So thankfully, Tweedledum is still gloom and doom, so he doesn't do anything. Okay. But Tweedledee, Shariar, begins marrying women and then beheading them the next day to stop them from ever having a sleepover. <laughs> and this is good. This is good because women suck, apparently. Right? Again. Women suck. The, 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 the trust lady told us that women suck. <laughs> And why are we taking her advice? Gosh dang it. I, I, can't, I can't believe how many times they're going to have to say this on the podcast, but can we just lay off the killing like a little bit? You're going to go through too many women too fast. At that rate, you're going to have like nobody in your kingdom. What? You're going to execute. You're going to marry. First of all, do you know what it's like to plan a wedding? It takes so much work and so much organization, and you have to do that every day. And then the next morning, you have to get your executioner and be like, yo, gotta fill your quota, man. Get to it. But you know what? This rate, he just you just leave up all the decorations. You know, you keep the catering. People just have leftovers on leftovers on leftovers. Maybe the uh, wife that gets married at the beginning of the week gets a fresh, you know, feast. But everyone else is just, you know, leftovers, potlucks. The whole shedang. But imagine you know, getting married and like the food is just leftovers. That that's just awful. Well, can you imagine getting married and getting beheaded the next day? I think they have bigger problems to worry about. <laughs> I I actually disagree. That's your last meal, and it's leftovers from some other girl's wedding ideas. Like, um, come well, on. What are you gonna do? Kill her? She's already dead. <laughs> that got dark very fast. This whole thing is so dark. Can't believe it. Um, it's dark, and apparently the people think so too, uh, because the vizier, who's charged with finding new wives for the king, eventually realizes that people don't actually like it when their daughters get murdered, it and so they start say. leaving the, the kingdom with their their daughters, who they don't want to be beheaded. Uh, this is all very very strange. But the vizier's eldest daughter, either known as Shah Rizad or more commonly known as Shahrazad in Western media, uh, volunteers to be the next wife because, well, because she has a plan. Oh. Now, the vizier is considerably upset at this and tells her a cautionary tale of a bull, an ass, and a husbandman. Now, this is going to be a very weird story. You can tell, I can tell why he says it to her, but it's still a very strange story to tell to your daughter who is, you know, about to go get beheaded. Mm -hmm. But also, the vizier is in a very privileged posi position where he's the one finding girls to go to their deaths. But he's like, ah, you know what? My daughter, no, not you. You know, you can't go. It's, um... It's interesting. I mean, nothing this kingdom has done so far has made me, you know, think about their women rights and their autonomy or whatever. But this moment, I'm like, all right, you're perfectly fine with sending probably hundreds of other girls to die. But your own daughter? Nah, nah. She gets okay. a fable. 
this is the guy who inspired Jafar from Disney's <laughs> Aladdin, and he is so evil. <laughs> he is. So, are you really so surprised? Evil. Well, I mean, as far as I, I don't Disney know. villains go, Jafar is on the wacky, crazy, evil for the sake of evil end of spectrum. I'd say right next to original Maleficent. You know, there he just wants power. And this is the guy, obviously they're not the same character, but this is the guy who inspired Jafar in that interpretation. Okay. In Jafar's defense, that kingdom was not being run very efficiently. And right now, I've, if Jafar wanted to take over from these two whack Tweedledee and Tweedledums, you know what? I think most people would be okay with it because I doubt that he'd be the one going around killing people. So uh, Jafar gets a lot of hate, but did we see the Sultan doing a good job? I don't think so. Um. Anyway, Jafar. Can't believe I can't argue that. Here. <laughs> Does Jafar not kill because... anyone? Um, he looks so evil. I think Jafar. Okay, okay. Let's not let's not judge stories based. You know, let's not judge people based on their facial features. Even though he does look very, very evil. Like, if you think evil, you think Jafar. But... Like especially at the end of the, the film, when he is, like, full-blown out of control. I think he plays the trope of really, really badly coordinated or, um, you know, badly planned murder attempts. Like, he has attempts, obviously. He tries to kill people, tries to marry Jasmine and all that jazz. But... It's always for that comedy factor of it never actually comes to fruition. Like, it always something happens. And he's like, oh, no, my evil plan. How has it not occurred? Let me stand here and soliloquy about and have a soliloquy about why it should and why I should be the ruler and why you should marry me, Jasmine. And Jasmine's sitting there like, um, please keep talking so that you don't kill me. All right. Well, Jafar was definitely very creepy, but I guess, yeah, he didn't send, like, innocent women to their deaths with no questions asked i mean the villain clearly at this moment is the king yes. like there is no doubt that the women hating king is our villain are we perfect no but this is pretty <laughs> extreme guys are not perfect either pretty extreme. um so jafar our vizier mm-hmm. tells her a story within a story about a lazy ass who advises a very hard-working bull to pretend to be sick in order to get some time off. Now, the owner, who can understand animals for some magical reason, overhears this, and the next day, when the bull pretends to be sick, he puts the ass to work instead. The ass, who is very unhappy with this turn of fortune due to his own meddling, tells the bull that unless he seems lively again, the owner will send him to the butcher. Now, the, the owner does listen to this, and the next day, when the merchant sees the bull, alive and energetic, he laughs to himself. That bit wasn't the weird bit. <laughs> the weird bit is that his wife demands to know why he's laughing and convinces herself that it's at her. He oh tries to tell her that he isn't, but he also can't tell her the real reason or he will die. Very inconvenient. It's like one of those weird curses that a witch is like, you know what? Uh, you can speak to animals. 
Ah, uh, wait, but I gotta give you something that's a bane as well. Ha, mm hmm. You know what? If you tell anyone that you can speak to animals, you die. Arbitrary random conditioning curses. Curse you by every witch. Maybe the witch had him roll like a d20 and then he rolled the wrong combination and that those were the two things. Your bane is that you die if you tell anyone what your boon is and your boon is that you can speak to animals. Or maybe she had one of those charts like, okay, what's your birthday? Okay, and what, like, so the month, the day, so you get to speak to animals. Ooh, but you're born on the 14th. You're gonna die if you tell anyone about this. I can't, you can't argue with this Facebook post. Sorry, what's your air sign? Oh, yeah. If you want to find out your Star Wars name. <laughs> <laughs> he shared the wrong post and now, you know, he's doomed to die. Uh, you know, most people that would tell you like, hey, if I say this, if I tell you the secret, I will literally die. You kind of have to, I mean, I would ask other questions like, why would you die? How would someone who's cursed you know that you told the secret? How do you know what the, you know, the conditions and terms of, oh, I said conditions and terms, ooh, the terms and conditions of this curse are? But instead, the wife is like, hmm, well, I guess you can die. Tell me what it is. Uh, he tries, although I don't think he tries very hard, to convince her that he really, really, really can't tell her. But she insists, and the owner's kind of like, well, guess I'll have to die and goes for as far as to prepare his will and gather his children and friends to like bid them goodbye i guess um now everyone else sees how unreasonable and weird the situation is and beg the wife to not be so unreasonable but she kind of refuses and just says you know what i want to know so he's gonna tell me oh my gosh and he can just die over it and the the owner seems pretty, you know, okay with dying, I guess, because he's enjoying his last day alive when he hears a very odd conversation between his dog and rooster who are talking about his death. The rooster says this would never happen to him because he keeps his women in line by beating them at every competition. Now, the owner thinks this is great idea and so he follows suit and confronts his wife and starts beating her at every competition until she apologizes this is not cool well i mean they end up living happily ever after like it's right there in the text they live happily ever after so it, it i guess it worked mm, that seems sus to me i mean to be fair i am very very nosy and if someone said hey there's something I can't tell you, or I'll die. I wonder if I would be like, tell me. It's fine, just tell me. It's okay, you won't die. <laughs> I I get that, but just because, you know, he starts beating me at Mario Kart or something, doesn't make, it makes me more curious. Well, I mean, I'd be like, what is this big secret that I can't, like, I would never be able to live the rest of my life with this person knowing they had this giant secret out there. I know a lot of people, a lot of couples, or, you know, a lot of friends have this whole thing of, Whatever happened in my past is my past, and you don't need to know about it. But that's different than if something came up and you're like, well, what is this important information? Like, what is this important event that just happened? And they go, I can't tell you. Uh, I feel like every part of me just has like red flags and sirens going off in my head, like, what's <laughs> going on? I need to know. Big old red flag. I feel like if 
one day you came to me and you said, hey, listen, I have a secret, but I can't tell you or I'll die. As much as I love you, <laughs> I'd be like, I mean, I kind of want to know. <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, oh write it God. down. It's fine. Don't, don't say it out loud. Just write it down. <laughs> Or I would like I would snoop to try and find out. I mean I'm I'm very nosy. I need like I if you had if you said nothing at all or if you lied to me I'd be perfectly fine. But if you just left it at I can't tell you, I don't know if I can I can just let that go. Curiosity killed the cat. Well, I mean in this case it killed the person, not the cat. So it'd be perfectly fine. <laughs> okay, so Dad tells this truly awful story that has the weird ending fine what happens next so Shahrazad is a very smart girl who is said to have learned all of the arts and sciences she knows history philosophy religion and she's not just offering herself up as a sacrifice she's going to the king with a crafted plan to save herself and to save others from this kind of brutality that's happening to them so, given that, she's unfazed by this strange and threatening story and marries the king anyway. Now, on the day of the wedding, she cries and asks to see her sister one last time, which the king obliges because, you know, he's going to kill her the next morning, so, you know, have at it. When her sister gets there, she asks Shahrazad for a story, and Shahrazad complies and begins telling a fantastical story. So her story ends with a cliffhanger, and the king is so excited by this that he wants to hear what happens next. So he decides to keep her alive for the night. Now, she continues doing this for a thousand and one nights, with each new story ending on a cliffhanger or with the preamble to the next story, all in a bid to keep the king's interest. Now, the king, who has nothing really going on with him besides the beheadings that happen every morning, and he does apparently like to binge his entertainment keeps her alive and he enjoys the character growth of all of the women in these stories who start off as harlots who want to destroy men to becoming actual people now on the thousandth night she tells him that she is all out of stories and the king who has fallen in love with her at this point keeps her alive and makes her his queen Aww. he even tells his brother tweedledum <laughs> about the tales and his brother decides that women aren't so bad, and they have a thought process and are their own people. What? And he ends up marrying her younger sister, which leaves the vizier Jafar to go to the younger brother's kingdom and rule there as the sultan. Wow. Isn't that a happy ending? We had some character growth. We see Jafar in his rightful place as the sultan without having to be really evil. He could still go on to do that. We don't know. He could have turned into a red genie and gone berserk eventually. It's fine. Maybe. I really like the ending to this story because I think that she convinces him in a way that uses not just, you know, her feminine charm or, you know, murder on her own, like having to poison him or something. She uses literature and stories and history and she kind of uses her wit and intelligence to not only keep him interested, but to come up with these stories and tell them. And she does so in a way that he's not only interested, but he wants to hear her thoughts on them. He wants to hear her talk about these strange things and these her ideas on religion and her ideas on history. 
And I think that's a real turning point, or at least we can visibly see his character growth through his actions in that he starts off as someone who is willing to believe that this woman in a chest can give you real answers <laughs> to believing his wife who is telling him these stories at night about all of these weird magical things. And I mean, hopefully he stops believing every woman he meets. But the second time, I think he got it right. He believed in someone who told him something that actually added value to his life. And I think at hmm. the end, we can kind of guess that he doesn't think all women are trash anymore. I'm not quite 100% sure. But mm-hmm. I like to believe that he's changed and he realizes that, hey, you know what? My wife is really cool. And you know what? She's probably not like my other wife. I'm not going to kill this one. Yeah. So, you know, let's lay off the executions just for a while longer. That must have been rough for the executioner just every day. You're going, can I take a break? <laughs> I've done my fair share. I've met my quota. <laughs> well, I bet like it's a set schedule from now on. He knows that he wakes up and then he does his job and then he goes home, you know, does it all over again the next day. Hmm. I, bet if, I wonder if he's out of work now. Or are they unionized? Sherazad, we are finished telling our tale for the day. Before we head on out, let's go over our five fantastical finds. Number one. So usually in fairy tales and folk tales, people don't really have names. So it's quite interesting that we have some named characters here. Sherazad's name is quite interesting in that it is the Arabic form of a Persian name. That means Seher, which is lineage, and Azad, which means noble. The implication is that she is of noble lineage, not only in blood, but by her nature. Now, our two kings, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, also known as Shahriyar, meaning holder of kingdom, and his brother, Shah Zaman, meaning king of an age, are noble in name only, and they embody no such spirits of a noble person like Shahrazad does. Number two. The story of Scheherazade is essentially setting up the framing story for all the tales that will follow. This framing device is used whenever a story is being told within a secondary story. A Thousand and One Nights is an iconic example of this, but it's far from the only one to do so. Think of movies like Forrest Gump, where the title character tells his life story to random strangers while waiting for his bus. Or think of TV shows like How I Met Your Mother and Gossip Girl. One frames its story as a father talking to his kids, while the other is told from this perspective of a gossip blogger. Heck, even video games like Assassin's Creed love using this device, and the list goes on and on and on. So why tell a story in this way? In the Arabian Nights story, it's easy to see the appeal of stringing together seemingly random stories into one cohesive narrative. This is helpful for TV shows that have a more episodic approach or video game franchises that require a loose narrative to support very different worlds or gameplay between titles. Number three. While there are many novels and stories that encompass the idea of Scheherazade's plight or retell it, none do as great a job as Stephen King's Misery, where a nurse kidnaps and holds an author captive, keeping him alive insofar as he agrees to rewrite his latest book. Now, much like Scheherazade, he needs to read his captor's mind and keep her interest in the work in order to stay alive. I highly recommend this read for those of us that like a bit of horror but cannot handle too much of it. Number four. 
While we didn't have time to go through all of the tales told in A Thousand One Nights today, we will probably cover them again in future episodes. There are elements in these stories that are way ahead of their time in terms of crime fiction, high fantasy, epic fantasy, horror, and even comedy. We see courtroom dramas, hauntings, mermaids, people living on the moon, and ancient lost cities. Some of these stories include Sinbad the Sailor, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves, and even Aladdin. There's a lot going on here. I'm quite excited. Don't know about you. Number five. The history of A Thousand and One Nights is hard to follow because it really is a compilation of ideas, authors, and translations. Now, translations of stories are always tricky because they edit not only for language, but cultural norms as well. Many stories, like Aladdin Alibaba, were later additions to the work and were not part of the original nights. The nights also changed from being between 100 stories to 1,000 stories to sometimes just 40 stories. It's really hard to tell where the origins of a book like this come from because it is a collaborative effort through time and through countries. Well, travelers, like Scheherazade, we must end our story for now. But we will be back real soon with another exciting tale to tell. So, you know, please don't execute us until then. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. If you want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be, come join us anytime on Twitter or Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest. Or you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. And sometimes, if you stick around long enough, you might hear some bloopers. Us? Make mistake? <laughs> Never. So, Jafar, the vizier from Jafar, not the vizier, so, the vizier <laughs> from this story. The king doesn't just take his brother's word, you know, at its, at its what? At its core? Its value? At, at face value. At, at face, face value. value. Yes, I, compl- I completely forgot what that term was. I was like, what is this <laughs> term I'm thinking of? Sorry. <laughs>